Amen. Let these guys know what a blessing they are. I love the Jason Levins Band. And uh, longtime friends. It's so great to be back here at Schindler Drive Baptist Church. And Pastor Jonathan, I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity. Tonight I'm preaching on this subject, Revival Fires. Revival Fires. From the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 18, and I'm going to begin to read in verse 20. 1 Kings, chapter 18, and I'll begin to read in verse 20. Would you please stand with your Bibles open in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. And the Bible says in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18, and verse 20, So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them, and they prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past... They prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces, and he laid it on the wood. He said, Fill four water pots with water. And poured on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. They did a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. So he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Let it be known this day that you're God in Israel and I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Let's pray. God, put your words in my mouth, your thoughts in my mind. God, I pray I will preach under the anointing of the Holy Spirit as a dying man to a dying world. I must decrease. Lord Jesus, you must increase. Lord, it's all about you, and it's not about us. I pray you'll give us a clear mind. I pray you'll give us an open heart. I pray, God, that you'll rebuke the devil and the demons of hell, and I pray they'll have no part in this service, and you'll break the power of their influence in people's lives and set the captive free. I confess what the Word says, O Lord. The devil is a defeated foe. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And the blood of Jesus will never lose its power. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. And you may be seated. There was a man who in the day was called an organ grinder. He had an old-fashioned square box crank organ. He would crank it, and it would make music. And it stood up on a little pedestal. And attached to it on a leash was a little monkey that was trained. He wore a hat, and he held a tin cup. And when people would listen to the music as the organ grinder cranked that organ and played the music in the park, they would tip him by putting money in the cup that that little monkey held. And the monkey was trained to tip his hat in gratitude. But one night, the monkey broke loose from that leash, from that chain, from that lead. And he ran off into the evening as the sun began to set and the temperature began to drop. Well, it was getting down to freezing and below. And so that little monkey began to go from home to home looking for an entrance into a place where he could warm his body. He would go from window to window, looking for maybe a window that had been left open. And finally, that little monkey found a window pane that had been broken. And he crawled through that broken window pane, and he saw a roaring fire in the fireplace. And he crawled down in front of that fire, and he curled up to warm his body and to sleep. The next morning, the owner of the home came downstairs and was surprised to find that monkey frozen to death in front of the fireplace. For you see, there was no fire in the fireplace. There was only a picture of fire. And across this land, we have church buildings. They have beautiful exteriors. And they say by their presence to people in a community, there is a God. He has a son named Jesus Christ who he sent to die on the cross for our sins. But the problem is when you get on the inside, there is no fire. There is no excitement. There is no 
enthusiasm. There is no vision. There is no passion. There is no action. The desperate need of the hour in the church is not another plan or another program or another personality. It, the, the answer is not in technology or a facility. What we need is a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the church, a renewal, a revival. And so tonight, from the Word of God, I want to show you what it takes to have revival fires burning inside the church. First of all, if we're going to have revival fires in the church, we've got to have some revival preaching. Revival preaching. Elijah called the prophets of Baal to the top of Mount Carmel, and he preached a one-point sermon. He said to the children of Israel, How long will you falter, halt, or limp between two opinions? If the Lord's God follow him, but if Baal follow him. He was a powerful preacher of the Word. What is revival preaching? Well, revival preaching expects a definite decision. It knocks people out of neutral. It delivers people from their ifs. It shakes them out of their spiritual coma. We don't have a lot of preaching today across this land. We have those that stand up and give motivational talks. We have people that stand up and sort of offer group therapy. But I'm talking about an open Bible and a simple message that points people to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a man standing in a pulpit who believes that the Bible is God's Word and that it brings faith into the hearts of those who hear. That it restrains the flesh of the people of God so that they might be holy. And it repels the attacks of Satan. He cannot stand against the Word. And I want to tell you tonight boldly, because I know I may never pass this way again. And this may be the last time I stand and preach the Word of God. Every church that has a preacher that believes the Bible is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Every church that has a preacher that will stand up and with simplicity declare the Word of God without compromise should get down on their hands and knees and thank God for a preacher of the Word because they are rare. And let me tell you, my friend, if you were in the hospital for 45 minutes for a wart removal and the pastor didn't know about it and didn't show up to hold your hand, get over it and become a big boy believer and a big girl believer because it's not about you. It's all about Jesus and it's about reaching a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we need, what we need is a man of God with an open Bible who preaches like there's no tomorrow because I got news for you, there may be no tomorrow. So, this kind of preaching expects a definite decision. Notice that he does not preach a sermon to the prophets of Baal. He preaches it to the people of God because the prophets of Baal are lost. 
And lost people don't need revival. Lost people need a resurrection. Only the vived can be revived. And so he turns to God's people and asks them when they're going to get serious and when they're going to take a stand and when they're going to begin to pursue God with all their heart and decide whose side they're on. Jesus said it like this. No man can serve two masters. So revival preaching expects a definite decision. It is confrontational. It calls people to decide. It invites people to take a stand for Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you something else about revival preaching. Revival preaching exalts the majesty and the grandeur of God. You see, God is not the man upstairs. God is not a permissive parent. God is not sort of a glorified Santa Claus. God is not a genie in a bottle. He is the maker of all things. He is the creator of all things, and He is the sustainer of all things. God is holy, and God is just, and God is merciful, and He is a God of wrath. He is omnipotent, He is omniscient, He is omnipresent, He is spirit, He is light, He is life, He is love, He does not change, He is from everlasting, He is one in essence, three in person, the angelic beings cry, holy, 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 one holy for God the Son, one holy for God the Father, and one holy for God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He is the God of fire in the scriptures I've read. Fire is a symbol of the presence of God. He's not way out there. He's present right here tonight. Fire is a symbol of God's judgment. Fire is a symbol of God's purity. And fire is a symbol of God's person. The writer of Hebrews says, Our God is a consuming fire. So revival preaching exalts and lifts up the majestic God in all of His glory. There's a third thing I want you to notice about revival preaching. Revival preaching exposes the powerlessness of false gods. Now, I want to tell you, Elijah wasn't a touchy-feely preacher. He wasn't trying to, you know, bring all these faiths together that believe nothing, and we just all going to sing Kumbaya. No, sir, he began to mock the prophets of Baal. They're dancing around, praying to their false god, and he begins to say, I wonder where your god is. You say he's a god, must be on vacation, must be asleep. And he began to mock them, and they just worked themselves up into a frenzy. But the Bible says, in the end, no one answered, because a false god cannot answer prayer. A false god cannot heal a sick body. A false god cannot save a marriage. A false god cannot deliver you from crack cocaine, break you loose from addiction to alcohol and lust, I want you to know a false god is dead and lifeless and powerless and will doom your soul to hell. Let me tell you this about a false god. A false god makes harmful demands of his followers. The Bible says as they got all worked up into a frenzy, it says they did the strangest thing, these prophets of Baal. 
It says in verse 28, they cried aloud and they cut themselves. Did you see that? They cut themselves. Now notice this. As was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. This was a part of their religious system, their, their act of worship. They cut themselves. They did destructive things to themselves. And I'm telling you, it is a false God that says, you want a place in paradise? You want me to guarantee you a place in paradise? Well, here's what you've got to do. You've got to hijack a plane, and you've got to fly it into a building, and you've got to kill as many innocent people as you can in a holy jihad. And and if you'll do that, I, I'll guarantee you a place in paradise. You, you, you want a guaranteed place in paradise? Well, then you're going to have to put on a bomb vest and you're going to have to walk into a shopping mall and blow yourself up in a suicide bombing. And, and I promise you, if you'll do that, then, then you'll have a place in paradise. Let me tell you something, my friend. That's a false gospel. That is a false gospel that's taking people to hell. Let me tell you what the true gospel is. And the gospel that we should be preaching. It's our task. It's our number one task. Here's the true gospel. God said, I don't want any of you to die. I'm going to send my only begotten son. And he's going to die in your place as your substitute. And he's going to bear the curse of your sins. And I'm going to pour out my wrath on your sins on my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you put your faith and trust in him, he died on the cross for you. He was buried and raised from the dead to give life to the dead. If you will believe and trust in the crucified, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, I'll give you a new birth. You'll be a new creation. I'll forgive your sins. You will never die. I'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And I promise you, you will spend forever in a place called paradise because Jesus died for you on an old rugged cross. And that's why that dying thief... Under Holy Spirit conviction. Now his mind's been changed. He's not cussing Jesus anymore. He says, Lord, good grief, what's happened to him? The Spirit of God is illuminating his mind. He says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He can't march around a cube. He can't pray at a wall. He can't say his Hail Marys. He, he, he can't light a candle. He can't walk the aisle of a Baptist church. He can't get baptized in a baptistry. He just cries out in faith and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And because Jesus paid it all, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's the gospel of Christ. This community needs this gospel. The schools need this gospel. The people you work with need this gospel. Jacksonville, Florida needs this gospel. This whole lost hell-bound world needs that simple gospel of Jesus Christ. We need some revival preaching. But there's a second thing we got to have if we're going to have revival fires in our churches. We've got to have some revival preparation. Some revival preparation. Now, I'm not talking about publicity. That's great, but that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about preparation. I'm not talking about advertisement or some offering to try to encourage people 
to bring people to the meeting. Uh, like in some of my first pastorates in a revival meeting on a Monday night, which you were always terrified as a pastor that people weren't going to show up on a Monday night. And so I would have a pack of pew night. And the church I had had, had pews, and, and we put a, the name of what we called a pew captain on the ends of each of those pews. And they were responsible to invite people on Monday night. And the person who had the most people sitting on their pew, I said, I don't care, save, lost, don't know, whatever, you just bring them. The person who has the most people on their pew, I'm going to give you this beautiful study Bible. When I was pastoring over in Live Oak, I don't, you get in trouble doing this today. The wrestling coach at the high school wanted that study Bible and told all the students one day, uh, I'm going to pack a pew on Monday night at Westwood Baptist Church and everybody that sits on my pew is going to get extra credit. I'm t- that night, we had over 500 people in Live Oak, Florida in a Monday night revival meeting. But I heard about one church that sort of had an incident on pack a pew night. The place was jammed and packed. It looked like the ends of the pews were going to pop off. And there was a little boy wedged in between these two ladies. You could hardly see him back in there. And this was an old-fashioned hellfire preacher preaching this revival. He got all wound up. And he put his finger, it seemed to that little boy that that finger was a foot long. He said, I'm telling you right now, if you don't get saved, God's going to paralyze your kneecap. Well, that little boy reached down and pinched his kneecap. It was like it was shot up with Novocaine. No feeling. He thought, oh my goodness, God has paralyzed my kneecap. <laughs> then the preacher really got bold. He said, I'm telling you, if you don't get saved, God's going to paralyze your knee. He reached down, pinched his knee as hard as he could. No feeling. He thought, God has paralyzed my knee. Then the pastor got really wound up and he shouted, if you don't get saved, God's going to paralyze your whole leg. He reached down and pinched the fire out of his leg. No feeling. He punched the lady next to him and said, Lady, God has paralyzed my leg. She said, Kid, I don't know about that, but if you pinch me one more time, I'm going to paralyze your whole body. (laughs) The moral of that is be careful who you pinch when you come to God's house. I'm not talking about that kind of preparation. I'm talking about a spiritual preparation that must take place in a church if revival fires are going to explode, burn, and move through that congregation. Notice what Elijah does. The prophets of Baal have jumped around. The altar has collapsed. And the Bible says in verse 30, Elijah says to all the people, come near So all the people came near to him, and he repaired... Now listen to this. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I believe there's some altars in our church that are broken down. I believe there's some altars that have to be repaired and have to be rebuilt. First of all, we've got to rebuild the altar of unity. The altar of unity. The Scripture says that he took 12 stones in verse 31. Do you see that there? Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, and he used those to make this altar. After the death of King Solomon, there was a civil war in the nation of Israel. 
and the nation divided and never united again. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom had their own capital, and the two tribes of the southern kingdom had their capital as Jerusalem. The northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. So at the time of Elijah rebuilding this altar, the nation of Israel was divided. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Listen to me. God never accepted that division. When he rebuilt this altar, God had instructed him to take 12 stones. God saw a nation united, not divided. One day Jesus cast a demon out of a man, and the man was delivered from that which afflicted him. And the people were amazed and said, Surely this could be the son of David. But the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and said, Ah, we don't. Well, that's no big deal. Said he, he cast the demons out by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. And Jesus said, That doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even make sense that the devil would cast out his own demons. He says, The devil himself knows that a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. On the day of Pentecost... The Bible says they were in one accord in one place. Strife grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit. Division defeats and destroys a local church. Division and strife is Satan's ultimate weapon to rip apart the body of Christ and to rob them of the forcefulness of the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Scripture teaches us over and over again of the power of uniting if two or three will unite in prayer. God is going to hear and answer that prayer. When Simon Peter in Acts chapter 12 was in jail and they were going to kill him, the Bible says the church gathered together and they began to cry out to heaven. And so today in the church, there is in the lives of too many people a lack of a desire to be one as the church was on the day of Pentecost. You see, what we do in the church today is just everywhere. Is we raise our opinions and our preferences to the level of Bible convictions. And then we argue about them. Or we fight about them. Or we make it a cause. I don't know any conservative churches that are divided over the virgin birth. Oh, I said, we believe in the virgin birth. I don't know any of them that are at each other's throat because of a doctrine. They're arguing over carpet and paint. They're arguing over flower arrangements and architecture. They're arguing over things that are of no eternal value. And I, 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 I go from church to church. I preach it in the church I pastor now for 32 years. And I, don't, I can't seem to get across to people. I can't seem to get across to people how that attitude quenches and grieves the Holy Spirit and that if people would make the main thing the main thing, God would rip open the sky, send down the fire and do great and mighty things in the church. Now, there's just some things we're never going to agree on. I mean, you, you blue's your favorite color and over here somebody says, I don't like blue, red's my favorite color. 
Some of you like seafood and some of you don't. Some of you like chicken and some of you like steak. Some of you like hamburgers. And some of you like tofu. I mean, everybody has got their taste as far as food's concerned. Fashion. Fashion. Everybody has their own opinions about fashion. Uh, Automobiles. Some people like this kind of automobile, that kind of automobile. Some like a Chevrolet, some a Ford, some a Toyota, some a Honda. Let me ask you this. Are, Are there not some things that we could all agree on in a local church, for goodness sakes? I mean, could we not agree that the Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word? Could we not agree God is in three persons, blessed Trinity? Could we not agree that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, that He was born of a virgin, that He lived a sinless life? Could we agree on that? Could we agree that He died on the cross and appeased the wrath of God by shedding His blood? Could we not agree that they put Him in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and that on the third day he was raised from the dead, that he ascended on high, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, and one day King Jesus Christ is coming, not to take sides, but to take over. Could we not agree? Could we not agree that there's a red hot hell where sinners burn forever, and there's a heaven with a street of gold where the sun never sets and we never grow old? And that could we not agree on this? That the only only way out of hell into heaven is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Could we not agree on that? We need to rebuild the altar of unity. We need to rebuild the altar of humble service in the church. The Bible says when he rebuilt this altar, they put sticks there and they, they gathered up water. And water wasn't plentiful in those days. Somebody had to go get the sticks. And somebody had to go collect the water. It doesn't tell us who they were. Uh, They needed sticks. And somebody said, I'll get some sticks. They needed water. Somebody went off and helped gather up all this water. And you know, this is the kind of service that Jesus blesses. Where people just do what they do through the ministry of a local church for the glory of Jesus. They don't need their name on a plaque. They don't need the pastor to get up and brag on them. They don't need an award or a certificate. They're doing it for Jesus Christ, and they know that one day they'll stand in His eternal presence, and He will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, and they'll cast their crown back at the feet of Jesus and give Him all the praise and glory. You see, somebody has to work the sound. Somebody has to sweep the floor. Somebody has to vacuum carpet. Somebody has to set stuff up and take stuff down. Somebody has to change diapers. And Somebody has to cook stuff. And Somebody has to rake the yard. And somebody has to mow the yard and change light bulbs and teach Bible classes and greet people and work with the computer and the technology of the church. I mean, there's just all kinds of things to do in the church. And we do it for the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we need is a revival in the church 
church of faithfulness. I will be faithful to teach. I will be faithful to give. I will be faithful to be there. I will be faithful to serve. I will do my assigned task and I will do it faithfully with a smile on my face and a good attitude with Jesus singing hallelujah in my heart. That's the way I'm going to serve God. We need a revival of this kind of service. So we repair the altar of humble service. But there's another altar that we need to rebuild and repair. And that is the altar of absolute sacrifice. They were going to put a slain animal on this altar. That altar was a place of death. And the Apostle Paul said, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. That, that means completely sold out to Jesus Christ. And I wonder tonight, am I speaking to some, some, someone somewhere along the way as a believer, you've lost your way. You used to be on fire for Jesus. I mean, you, you used to be so excited about Jesus, so enthused about Jesus. But you've lost your fire and your enthusiasm and your zeal. And we need to rebuild this altar of saying, Jesus, be Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart. Well, if we're going to have revival fires, we've got to have some revival preaching. If we're going to have revival fires, we've got to have some uh, revival preparation. If we're going to have revival fires, there's a third thing we need. We've got to have some revival power. Man, I, I'm talking about the power of God. What does the Word say? Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. Paul said to the church at Corinth, When I came preaching to you people, I didn't come with a bunch of fancy talk showing off my intellect. My preaching was in demonstration of the power of God. The power of God rocks hell to its foundations. And if there's going to be power in the life of a believer, and in the life of the church, it takes two things. First of all, it takes prayer. Every great spiritual awakening that's ever been recorded in the Bible or even in church history has always been connected to prayer. On the day of Pentecost, when the fire fell, what were they doing? They were praying. What was Jesus doing when he was brought up out of the water at his baptism? Luke's gospel says, when John brought him up out of the water, and as he was praying, God opened the heavens and the Holy Spirit fell in bodily form like a dove upon him. And that's exactly what happens here. They've rebuilt this altar. And he asked the people to gather around close. And it says at the time in verse 36 of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Now why at the, at the time of the evening sacrifice? It's illustrating a New Testament truth found in the book of Hebrews. We have boldness to enter into God's presence because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. I haven't earned my way into the presence of Jesus. I have been graced into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the evening sacrifice, he begins to pray. And he says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. What's he saying there? Well, God, you did big things for Abraham. You did big things for Isaac. You did big things for Israel. And, uh, hey, you, you, you're my God too, and you can do something big for me right now by sending down the fire. And the Bible says in the book of James that he, Elijah, was just a, a human being just like us, and he prayed, and God did great and mighty things to encourage us to pray and expect great and mighty things. And the Bible says he wants God to get all the glory, 
It says, let it be known this day that you're God in Israel. It's all about you and I'm just your servant and I've done all these things. And as he prayed, and there they are. You see, you see the children of Israel, they're like a lot of church folks. That, you know, they... They just wore themselves out over the weekend, man. They've been out there rooting on their team, and there's nothing wrong with that, but they're just so tired. And they just drag their poor old dead bodies into church on Sunday morning, and they're just hoping that Pastor Jonathan can keep them awake. It's just been such a busy weekend. <laughs> Something wrong with you if you don't save a little emotion for Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you that right now. And when we come to God's house to God on God's day, I want to tell you this. A touchdown's great. Whoever wins the NASCAR race, hey man, give him a, give him a big trophy. Whoever wins a, 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 a golf tournament, man, listen, listen, recognize him. Who, who, whoever gets a home run, let me tell you something, my friend. That's something to be affirmed. But let me tell you, it's also okay to be excited about the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and defeated hell. And he's alive forevermore. And they'll never crucify him again. And when God's people get together, they ought to be excited about it. Man, he prays, and there they stand over there, children of Israel. They're just, there they are. Don't want to go overboard. Don't want us to think we're one of them. And all of a sudden, God rips open the sky, and the fire falls. And it not only licks up the sacrifice and the dust around it, it even licks up all the water that was poured in that trench. And suddenly, God's people turn into holy rollers and they begin to shout, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! That's the kind of revival we need in the church to blast us out of our carnality and set our souls on fire. you got to have prayer if you're going to have power. The second thing you've got to have is purity. Purity. Now, notice what he does in the end in verse 40. He says, I want you to seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. Take them down to the brook Kishon, and I want you to kill them. Execute them there. You say, what's the New Testament application of that verse? And here it is. Deal ruthlessly with your sins. Deal ruthlessly. Don't coddle them. Don't play with them. Don't ignore them. Don't hide them. Cut them out through confession. Cut them out through repentance. Cut them out by humbling yourself under the hand of a holy God. You know, several years ago, I read a story that to me was one of the greatest stories of a modern outbreak of revival in a local church I've ever read. And then, a few years later, after I had told that story over and over to illustrate what can happen when God's people re repent and pray, I heard the rest of the story. A man told me the rest of the story. But I can't tell you the rest of the story unless I tell you the story. It happened like this back in the mid-1990s at a church in Houston, Texas on a Sunday night. They were having church with the same format. They always had same crowd, basically. Pastor gave the invitation. It was usually just business as usual. But that night, a young lady came down and 
told the pastor she wanted to get right with God. Repent of her sin. And she stood up there and said, I want to do it in front of the church. And she just wept and just repented of her sin and confessed her sin right there in the house of God. And when she was just standing up there, just weeping, getting right with God, something happened. Something happened. People just began to get up out of their seats and to come down to the altars and just begin to fall across the altars and to pray and seek the Lord. Two hours later, they sent a couple over to the adjacent educational building to relieve the couple over there that was keeping the kids in the nursery so they could get in on the revival. They came over there and stood before that congregation and said, we need you to pray for our adult son. We've got an adult son. We don't know where he is. He left home, and he's away from God. Would you pray that our adult son would come back home and come back to God? Well, he was in Galveston at a Mardi Gras celebration. And when the Spirit of God, they began to pray, the Spirit of God fell on him, and the still, small voice of God spoke to his heart and said, Go home now. He jumped in his car, drove home as fast as he could get. When he got home, nobody was there. He thought, my parents only go to church on Sunday night. What's going on? He goes to the church and the lights are still on. Cars in the parking lot. He walks into the foyer and asks somebody, where's my mom and dad? And they tell him they're down there at the altar. He walks down the aisle. He taps them on the back. They turn around and there he stands. And he says, mom and dad, I'm coming back home and I'm coming back to God. And I thought, that's revival. That's a miracle. And I always said, what would have happened that night in that service if that one young lady had not repented? She was the key and the spark that ignited that revival. Well, I was preaching in an evangelism conference in Louisiana. And I told that story to illustrate the power and possibility of revival. And after the service, a man came to me and he said, Brother Herb, he said, I was there in that service the night that happened. That that young lady stood up there and just all heaven broke loose. He said, I was there. And it happened exactly like you said. But I need to tell you what happened after that. He said, the next week, the cold water committee in that church rose up and killed that revival and when he told me that and I walked away I said to the Lord God I don't want to be the bucket of cold water that kills the revival God I'm willing to be the spark that ignites the revival let's bow our heads and close our eyes Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Let's all stand together. And the pastor is coming, take his place. Staff members taking their place for invitation time. If you're not sure if you were to die tonight that you'd go to heaven, did you know that you can be sure? Did you know that Jesus loves you and he wants to save you tonight? His gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Would you come repenting of your sin, trusting Jesus as your Savior? Would you let us have a gospel conversation with you and just explain to you God's simple plan of salvation and you can get born again tonight. Would you come? 
and take the pastor by the hand and say, I, I just tonight, I, I need to get saved. And let me ask you this. Is there anybody here tonight that says, I don't want to be the bucket of cold water. I can't speak for anybody else in this church. I want to be the spark that ignites the revival. Maybe you want to just come and kneel around this platform right here. Just stand here for just a moment. Just make that place special and say, God, I'm saying to you, I don't want to be the bucket of cold water. I want to be the spark. Lord, send the fire from heaven and let it fall on me. God, I'm the wood. You send the fire. Set me on fire, Jesus. I'm going to pray a special prayer for revival in just a moment. Maybe you need to go to this pastor and put your hand in his hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to recommit my life to lordship when it comes to Jesus. Holy Spirit, move in this invitation time. God, speak to our hearts. Rattle us, Lord. Shake us, shake us out of our carnality and our complacency. Our self-centeredness and our self-focus out of our sin. In Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. As we worship and sing. These altars are open. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of revival. Just takes one. Wonder if there's there one person that would agree with me tonight for a Holy Ghost revival to break out in this church and all across this city. In just a moment, I'll pray.